So Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 39. This is God's holy word. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And we're going to end our reading God's word this morning at that place. May God bless his word to us. Well, I think that probably the most famous part of the most famous sermon is what are called the Beatitudes, that part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You remember, I trust, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And on and on it goes, blessed, blessed, blessed. What a blessing it is to read about blessings in the Bible. We should never take that for granted, that even the word blessed appears in the Bible. Being blessed by God, if we understand it right, is not a right. Being blessed is not a right that we have. It is uh, on our own. It is not an entitlement that is ours by nature. God is the holy God. He is perfectly just. And the Bible tells us that we by nature are children of wrath. There is no one righteous, no, not one. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But Psalm 130 goes on, but with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. When we think of blessing, and that's what the word beatitude means, a blessing. If we think of the word blessing at all, our mind should go first and foremost to think about Jesus. Because it's only in him that we could ever know blessing. Jesus didn't just preach about blessings. He did what was needed so that blessing could be preached. When the time had fully come, it says in Galatians 4, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the curse of the law. And earlier in Galatians 
It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Curse is the opposite of bless. Redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. We deserve curse. Christ took the curse of his people on himself so that we could be blessed. That's the heart of the gospel. And so this Jesus is the source of real blessing in this life and in the life to come. I love what one writer said, happy is what a person feels. Blessed is what a person is. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, you are blessed. Now, in the gospel according to Luke, Luke will record those beatitudes, the blessings in the Sermon on the Mount later in chapter 6. But here in chapter 1, as we read this morning in verses 39 through 45, we have really the first beatitude in Luke's gospel. The first blessings being pronounced. Verse 39 tells us that after the angel Gabriel visited Mary, she took a trip to visit her relative Elizabeth from Nazareth in the north to a town in the south of Israel. The angel had told Mary that Elizabeth was already in her sixth month of pregnancy And so, no doubt prompted by that information, Mary travels from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea, to a town there. Many suggest it was Hebron. We don't know that for sure. We aren't told. But we are told that Mary went to the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, Zechariah, at this point, is still unable to speak. And so... Luke records this amazing interaction between these two expecting mothers. And there are all kinds of interesting questions and perhaps difficult questions that come to mind when we read this verse about moms and the infants, the babies in their wombs and what was happening. Uh, But for this morning, I'd like just to focus on what is really, I think, the main theme of these Verses because three times with two different Greek words, the theme of blessing is written here for us. And so that's why the sermon is called the first beatitude or blessing. And in light of that theme of blessing, then we see a number of things. First, we see the blessing of faith. The blessing of faith. We'll start in verse 45, because that's really the summary statement of this section of Luke's gospel. And hopefully, looking at verse 45 as a theme verse will be helpful to cover and connect so many of the other details in these verses. Here is Elizabeth's 
summary statement in the form of a blessing or beatitude. Verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So there is a blessing, and it is the blessing explicitly of faith. The blessing of faith. And it was a blessing spoken to Mary, the mother of our Lord, Elizabeth's Lord and our Lord. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, Again, we considered Mary last time earlier in Luke's gospel in chapter one. Uh, Mary herself is a huge topic in the Bible and in Christian church history. And obviously there are huge differences between the way some groups in the Christian church in history have considered Mary and related to Mary with how other People have understood Mary's place in the Bible and in the Christian life. Obviously, huge differences. Uh, it, it doesn't help anybody to pretend that there aren't those differences because there just are. If you've ever traveled down to uh, Florida and you've gone through Orlando and you've driven on Interstate Number 4, right in the middle of Orlando, there's a huge church on the east side of I-4, with the name of that church prominently displayed on the wall of the building. The church is called Mary, Queen of the Universe Church. You can't miss it. Mary, Queen of the Universe Church. Now, to call Mary Queen of the Universe, or often as she's been called, Queen of Heaven, is not language found here in Luke. It's not language found anywhere in the Bible, that language, except for a place like Jeremiah, chapter 7, in verse 18. The children gather wood, the fathers light the fire, the women knead the dough, and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to arouse my anger. That's when that language, queen of heaven, is used in the Bible. Of an idolatry that brings God's anger. Mary has been called many things in the history of the church. The morning star. The cause of our joy. The throne of wisdom. Co-redemptrix. Mediatrix. That's the feminine form of mediator, advocate. As recently as the catechism, the Roman catechism of 1994, Mary is referred to as the mother of the Christian church, the queen of heaven, the exemplar of true Christianity, mediatrix, mediator between the church and God. In the history of the church, for many years, the church relied on Jerome's Latin translation of the Bible called the Vulgate. And in that translation of the Bible in Genesis 3.15 that we've heard this morning, this is how Jerome translated it. 
I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head, and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. She shall crush thy head. Now that's a mistranslation of the Hebrew, but you can see if you're working from that translation of the Bible, now some of these things can gain some traction in the teaching of the church. Francis Turretin, a Reformation theologian, uh, gets into this a lot more. If you want a thorough treatment, you can go there. Collected some prayers that were being prayed in his day. Hail Mary. And that just comes from Luke 1, 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings. Hail, greetings. It's just a common word there for greeting. But this is the way the prayer went. Hail Mary, hope of the world. Hear me, a miserable sinner, trusting in thy mercy and piety. Mother of mercies, mother of grace, hope of all the desolate, consoler of all the despairing, salvation of all who hope in thee. Thou art the one only hope of sinners. Through you we hope for the pardon of offenses, and in you is the most happy expectation of our rewards. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. There are distinctions that are made between the honor of Mary and the worship of Mary. We know in the Roman church, Calvin, looking at this, these are distinctions without a difference. When we hear the kind of language that belongs only and should only belong to Jesus, being ascribed to anyone else, that's beyond what the scripture would encourage. As the quotation in the bulletin from Martin Luther said, we should honor Mary. Uh, she is to be honored, but not against Scripture or Christ. There are many abuses in terms of the place given to Mary in the history of the Christian church, but in response and reaction, the pendulum often has swung too far. And Mary, in many Reformed churches, is almost unmentionable. I wonder if that quotation from Luther in the bulletin made you squirm a little bit this morning. We can't honor Mary enough? Has the pendulum swung too far? I was recently told by friends uh, that in Scotland and Ireland, it was not uncommon for very, very uh, lewd and inappropriate songs to be made and sung, which disparaged Mary. We should never do that. Uh, She is to be honored. If you don't think that Mary is to be honored after reading Luke chapter 1, you haven't read it. She is to be honored. But not in such a way as to injure Christ or the Scriptures. I don't want this sermon to be about Mary or against Mary, but these things need to be said because there are these differences. But, beloved, there is a biblical position, the biblical position between these two extremes. 
between idolizing a human being, a mere human being, like Mary or anyone else, and disparaging her. Mary is blessed. This is the first blessing. Mary is blessed. But look at verse 45. She is blessed as a believer. Blessed is she who has believed. Elizabeth emphasizes that. And in fact, the language is striking when you read it in the original. And if you think about it for a moment, it is striking. Elizabeth doesn't say, you are blessed, in verse 45. She says it in a way where the focus is obviously more on faith than on Mary herself. What Elizabeth literally says is, blessed is the one believing. Doesn't even say, blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is the one believing. Mary is not to be believed in. But she is blessed because she has believed. And a right reading of Luke chapter 1 shows that Mary's blessing comes from God in his grace through faith the way that it comes to every believer in the church. Verse 28, I mentioned again, Hail Mary, full of grace. That's the way we hear the the prayer repeated, Hail Mary, full of grace, Ave Maria in the Latin. But it's better translated, if you look at the grammar of verse 28, it is better translated, fully graced one. The verb is in the passive. This is something that has been given to Mary very clearly. Mary needed grace. The word can only mean that. Mary was graced passively by God. She needed grace. She isn't the repository of grace for others. Mary is the recipient of grace, one writer said, not the bestower of it. Verse 28 makes that clear. It's like Noah in Genesis 6-8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God's gracious choice of someone through whom God will do something special, one commentator said. Verse 38 is another verse. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Let it be. That's the Beatles song. Let it be, Mother Mary. R.C. Sproul says, Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. This response of Mary is referred to as Mary's fiat. The term fiat is the present imperative form of the verb to be in Latin. It is imperative. Let it be, she says. Some Roman theologians equate it to God saying, let there be light. A divine fiat. The Roman Catholic theologians come to this text. They say, here comes Mary out of the lips of Mary. Let it be. Some say the incarnation took place because of the will of God, but also because of the command of Mary. Mary exercised her authority, without which there would be no virgin birth, no redeeming Jesus, no salvation. 
So according to the Roman view of Mary, salvation depended on Mary's imperative response to the angel's announcement. But here again, the the original language doesn't bear this out. The Greek, one scholar says, expresses not so much a command as an acceptance that God may do with Mary what he wills. May it be unto me, as you have said. It's the word of God that is the focus, not the word of Mary. We need to go to a passage later like Luke 11. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and who nursed you. And he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed rather. Jesus isn't not including Mary. He isn't excluding Mary. He is including her along with all others who hear the word of God and who submit to it and who obey it. What must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's why Mary was blessed. She believed the word of God. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Verse 45. This emphasizes Mary's faith. She was a woman of faith. And that is an example to us. There is a debate in verse 45 on the translation of this verse. Some suggest it would be better to translate, and the King James has this more uh, more in its translation, blessed is she who has believed because the Lord would fulfill his promise. Not just that the Lord would fulfill his promise. That stresses the value of faith. But to say blessed is she who has believed because the Lord will fulfill his promise, stresses the value of faith is not in itself, but is in God, in what God would do for Mary and for all the other believers. Mary, you're blessed because you believe. How is faith a blessing? Why is faith a blessing? There are all kinds of people who believe. Is it always a blessing? No, Mary, you're you're blessed because the Lord will fulfill his promise. The positive assurance that God is going to fulfill his promise to Mary is a more solid ground, a more valid reason for calling her blessed than her own subjective faith in the fulfillment of these promises. Mary, you're blessed in believing because God is going to do what he said. God is going to bring a Savior. There is going to be a Savior to be believed in. That's why your faith is a blessing. Otherwise, it would be an empty, foolish hope. Christ is not raised, you're still in your sins. No, Mary, you're blessed. Your faith is blessed because God keeps his promises. Because God is going to send a Savior. And that's what we see secondly, not just the blessing of faith, but the object of faith. And this is so clear in Luke 1.42. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Again, faith is not a value in and of itself. Lots of people have faith. 
Faith alone, in and of itself, in other words, doesn't save. Faith in Christ saves. There can be all kinds of spiritual kind of people that we meet who have all kinds of faith in all kinds of things. There is only one faith that saves. Boys and girls, I have a key ring in my coat, in my study there, that has all kinds of keys on it. But only one key opens our front door. Faith can be like keys, all kinds of different faith. But only one opens heaven. Faith in Jesus Christ. Mary can be blessed in verse 42 because and only because Jesus is blessed. Blessed are you, Mary, and blessed is the child in your womb. Without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Hebrews 7, 7. Jesus blesses. Jesus is the object of our faith. Because you have seen me, Jesus said, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Is that you this morning? You've never seen Jesus. Do you trust him? Jesus is the object of our faith. John 8, 24, he said, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. It's the object of faith that is important, and that's Jesus. Weak faith, if it is true faith, is still saving faith because it's not faith in faith. Too many Christians slip into that and they start having faith in faith. And when their faith is weak, and whose faith isn't weak? Would all the people of extraordinarily strong faith please raise their hand? I think we all say, Lord, increase our faith. But it's because of the object of faith, Jesus, that there's hope and comfort and assurance. He can save. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, the righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. Faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. The blessing of faith, the object of faith, but we see here, I think in some very helpful ways, the fruit of faith. The fruit of faith. Uh, We see several things here that a relationship with Jesus produces. Some of this is mysterious, again, in this passage. Here is John, who is sent as the forerunner of the Messiah, and here's his first work as forerunner in utero. It is amazing. A certain sudden movement in Elizabeth's womb, a leaping. Now, that's not unusual. Moms, you know that. But Elizabeth interprets the experience, and not just in her own wisdom. I think this is what is going on. 
Verse 41, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so by revelation, this is what she says. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. What an amazing scene. And thing to, to just read about and, and, and listen to. Leap for joy. And there it's the, it's not the ordinary word for joy. It's the same word, the second word for joy used in verse 14. Great joy. Exceeding joy. There are lots of questions I'm sure that we could, we could generate, but just notice for this morning this aspect of joy as a fruit of faith. Jesus brings joy. Jesus brings joy. John the Baptist testified to it at six months in the womb. Jesus brings joy. That's a sermon in itself, isn't it? In a world that robs you of joy in so many ways, that kills joy, that suffocates joy, the angel said to them, Luke 2, we'll get to it soon, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. For all people. Next time we'll look at verse 47. Mary, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. There's a lot of doctrine there. Mary needed a Savior. She wasn't immaculate. She needed a Savior. But what's the point? Joy. A Savior brings joy. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. If we're trusting in Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. We also see, we have to move on quickly, the fruit of humility. This is seen in different ways. It's seen there, again, to back up just a little bit in verse 38, may it be to me as you have said. That's an expression of humility. What was it for a virgin to conceive and to perhaps think about what that will mean for her in terms of life in the community? Let it be to me as you have said. Mary humbly submitted to the providence of God in her life, though it would come with great cost. We have God's providence in our lives, and it comes to us in all kinds of ways. Is there a humility in our interaction with the providence of God? Or do we too quickly or too often Shake our fists at providence. Kick against providence. It's not easy. There were many ways it was not easy for Mary. She would soon be going to Egypt. A sword would pierce her own heart too. Simeon will say, let it be to me, as you have said. Doesn't mean we have to 
just passively take everything and not do what we can do in God's strength according to God's word to change or better our circumstances? Of course not. But a humility in the face of God's providence. We see humility that Mary goes to Elizabeth, not the other way around. Mary was expecting the Lord. You'd think, well, everyone should just go to Mary. No, she's humble. She goes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth shows humility, and Elizabeth rejoices in Mary being the mother of her Lord. She doesn't say, why not me? Why wasn't it me? She rejoices with those who rejoice. And to do that takes humility. Look at Elizabeth's words. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? It's just an expression of humility and amazement. This is amazing. The Greek is just just words. It just says, and why to me this? And why to me this? She can't get over how amazing it is. That's how humble she is. Just humble amazement. No sense of entitlement. Not No sense of what people owe me, or worse yet, what God owes me. Humility sees the wonder in each and every blessing from God, and especially the greatest blessing, that the Lord should come to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Don't we say to Jesus, why this to me? Why this to me that my Lord would come to me? We couldn't go to him. Our sins separated us, but he came to us in humility. And we should say, and we will say forever in glory, Lord, why to me this? What an amazing thing that the Lord should come to me in saving mercy and grace. We should have humble amazement always in the gospel. I've said it before, but I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones said years ago. Are you amazed that you're a Christian? If you're not amazed, you're not a Christian. The fruit of faith. And lastly, and just briefly, we see the encouragement of faith. The encouragement of faith. Doesn't this whole scene here, as we read it in verses 39 through 45, just just exude the blessing of believers enjoying each other's company and encouraging each other? There are big things to see here. But here's an encouraging small thing that's really not a small thing at all. Mary visits Elizabeth. She stays for three months. I don't know everything that those three months included. We aren't told. But these verses suggest it was a time of great mutual encouragement in the faith. We just get a glimpse of it. How important this is. Mutual encouragement in the faith. Paul knew it in his life. But God, who comforts a downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Not only by his coming, but also the comfort you had given him. Here is an example to us of believers coming together, spending time together, speaking about the things of God, and encouraging each other in the faith. 
And let me just say here again, guys, here are the women giving us a good example again. Often our sisters in the faith do this so much better than we do. They have good friends, and they spend time, and they speak to each other about faith and about their souls. Well, here Mary and Elizabeth give us this great example. Guys can just be like Zechariah somewhere in the house not saying anything. But here are these two women encouraging each other. And and notice here, because we need this encouragement as well, they are so different in age. Didn't we already learn that Elizabeth was well advanced in years? And Mary here is just a young woman? This isn't just people getting together in their age groups, in their cliques. There's a place for that. But here is the life of the people of God, and older women are, are teaching younger women. And there's a generational interaction in the church, and there should be. Don't say, if you're young, I don't have anything to learn from those old people. And don't say, if you're older, I don't have anything to give to those younger people. You do. You do. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and to good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 13, 3.13, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. I just finished a book on friendship, Christian friendship, a historical book which pulls out so many amazing accounts of Christian friendship, starting with David and Jonathan in the Bible. It was so convicting and so challenging and so encouraging. There are some things that you can do solo, but the Christian life isn't to be one of them. J.C. Ryle said, first let us seek the face of God. Then let us seek the face of God's friends. If we did this more, and we were more careful about the company we keep, we should more often know what it is to feel filled with the Holy Spirit.